Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello and welcome to the latest Analyzing Everton with me, David Hughes, and of course to my left, Josh Williams. Um, Josh, <laughs> how are you, mate? <laughs> it is such a weekly thing now, isn't it? Oh, I just, I just hate asking it. Not that I don't care about you, mate, but <laughs> spend hours with you before we do the show, so just and feel very the artificial. Thing, the thing is as well, I'm always fairly okay. Yeah, like yeah. It's, it's never a bad thing, it's never a good thing. That's it's it. You're always just a level guy, aren't you? Yeah, feet on the ground. Mm. But um, <laughs> I know you're well, mate, and that's good news. Uh, coming up on the on the show today, we'll, uh, we'll be dissecting a... A really good win at Watford. Um, a fantastic win, in fact. Um, over the moon with that. We'll have a look at Everton's form on, on Ancelotti because, well, there aren't many sides who are, who are better in England at the moment. In fact, there's just one. Um, and then we'll we'll have a look at Palace, which is coming up on this weekend. Um, Roy Hodgson's Palace, they're in a little bit of a rut, actually, uh, which at one point they were having a good season, weren't they, Palace? Yeah, they were... Um I mean, they were one of my favourites initially, at least after the summer window, to mm. so have plenty of struggles just based on the business that they did and things getting a little bit stale and the promoted teams looking a little bit better than teams gone by in the in years gone by. Mm. But doing doing quite well, doing quite well, yeah, yeah, so far at least. Well, they were anyway. Uh, well, yeah, until the last few weeks. But we'll we'll come on to Palace a little bit later anyway. We'll start with Watford. Uh, a tough game on paper, a lot tougher than people would have expected given the form that Watford were in, but Everton managed to sneak it with a very late goal courtesy of Theo Walcott, who I thought had a pretty poor game on the day, even being brutally honest. Um, but yeah, 3-2 victory, good win, all things considered, 2-0 down, 10 men. Um, and the XG basically reiterates the same. Haven't finished with an XG of two point one to uh, to Watford's zero point eight, which on paper at least Josh says that it was a deserved win. It does, yeah. But I had a little look into it because it was I thought it was quite interesting. Cause that's that's a really dominant dominant ex- expected goals win that one. Mm. Uh, and if you were to see that, you'd see that Everton absolutely deserved all three points sort of thing. But I do. I am inclined to think it was a little bit a little bit tighter during the game mm. sort of thing. So I had a little look at it. Uh, the expected goals timeline, and uh, you know Everton had virtually, virtually nothing up until the forty fifth minute, mm, mm. and then there's a big jump with obviously Mina's goal. There's another big jump when he scores a second, and there's another big jump when Theo Walcott scores the open goal. Is, mm. it, is, it, is it open so goal? So I think it could be that the, the the goalkeeper gets back in, but it's uh, it'd be a bad miss, put it that way. Yeah. yeah, I mean they're all chances that you'd expect to be scored, maybe. 60, 70, 80% mm. of the time and so they're obviously valued as big chances. Yeah. Um, so I think it was funny that Everton, without being the particularly dominant, they won the match through three high-quality 
shots you'd say really yeah. uh, that, that you'd expect to score in, in comparison to Watford who didn't really create anything that was that you'd label as a tapping mm. yeah it's um, it shows how important it is to create clear cut chances and make sure you take them would would you prefer to create an accumulation of lower quality chances but a high amount or would you prefer to have a lower amount of high quality chances There's no right answer, I suppose. I'm just it's curious. a difficult one because I think the former, which is what the low quality chances, yeah, like you said, a higher amount of low quality. I think that can be improved with time mm. because obviously, at least then you're creating a volume of shots. Whereas yeah. the the latter suggests that like you're kind of probably being dominated for large periods mm. and then getting through every now and then. But yeah, I don't know. Looking at Watford's shot map, um, their highest quality chance. For the match by the looks of it was Roberto Pereira's that was actually a goal mm. uh, an expected goals value of about 0.3 um, so that's scored obviously about 1 in 3 1 in 4 times mm. but beyond that what chances are all about like you know scored 1 in 10 times and yeah. their chances that you're, f- you're fairly okay with giving away aren't they yeah. out of interest what would your answer be to, to that <laughs> um, I'd probably go with the latter I think I think I prefer an accumulation of lower quality chances. Okay. Just because, although they are tougher to be converted, I um, I think football is such a, a game that's uh, impacted by so many variables that you can still score off the more you can, you know, you can, you can hit a ball and it'll take a deflection and go in. Um, do you understand the my thought process there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I think it's one of those questions, isn't it? It will always massively depend on on, on a lot of things. Yeah. Like, such as how much you're facing on the, on the opposite end. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Um, but going back to the game, it was. I agree with you. If you look at the time charts, Everton didn't really create anything too clear cut um, in the first say forty minutes. Watford scored with the two only shots on target in that time. First one was, you know what? Although Everton could have done better, I thought it was a good, a decent goal. What do you think? Um, yeah, I mean play. it was it was a typical, I mean Pep Guardiola type goal. I suppose mm-hmm. to be honest, that's the type of goal I think with time, Arsenal will be scoring plenty of because mm-hmm. it's it's, it's Michael Arteta's perception on the game as well. Just in terms of like attracting a lot of players into a small area of the pitch mm-hmm. on one side, mm-hmm. and then quickly switching the play to the opposite flank where there's space to exploit. And once that player consoles the ball, drives towards goal inwards, mm. which Delafeo did mm. after a, a wonderful control of the ball. Uh, and obviously Adam Messina f- ended up scoring, but it's the type of goal that I think will, with time, become a lot more prominent in the Premier League, I think. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, good goal. Second goal, I was pretty critical of uh, of Pickford. and it Again? <laughs> I know, again. I, I am really conscious of it, because you know, people are giving me a bit of... Grief, like like it's some witch hunt. It really isn't because I I don't have nothing against Pickford personally, and I do think he's a an, a decent goalkeeper. But I don't know. I just you you want your keepers to kind of pull you out of those moments and pull you know that what was the actual value on that about point three, that goal the player one yeah yeah point three four according to understat so, at least so it's a high chance but it's still for me it's the kind of stuff that you want you expect elite goalkeepers or great goalkeepers to to just keep out and he, he kind of gets a hand on it but it's not the best and I just think he should do a little bit better and obviously it comes from an error from uh, Delph as well who uh, who I've got concerns about and I've really since day one um, 
But in terms of his attitude, nah, I like think he, a, he's a bit. What's the word? Reckless. Maybe. Yeah, I think he, he he lacks quality in the moments, you no know, decisive moments. Um, yeah. Players only have a, a few minutes where they actually influence a game on the ball. I think, and he just seems to make errors in those moments, like giving the ball away. To, well, for he, the, yeah, the second. Yeah, for the yeah. second, he gives the ball away. Obviously, he's he's give away. Whether whether you'd agree it was a yellow or, or not the second one, he still gave away cheap fouls, and that the foul he did give away in the second half that led to the second yellow card. The play was going nowhere. He was on the yeah. Byline. I was going to say that then. I think that's the type of challenge that a player who's in control of his own game, he would assess that action and think it, it's not worth it. Yeah. It's not it's not worth exactly, doing. Yeah. So for I him to do that suggests that he's got he's kind of a bit a little bit impulsive. Yeah, totally. He is. Um, so I've got concerns about him. Just but on that Pickford thing, oh yeah, he, he had two shots to save throughout the whole game. Two shots on target for Watford. Obviously both fine. So, so hold on, I missed that. So Watford didn't have any more shots on target. No, according to... No, I, oh yeah, no, that's right. Yeah. Two shots on target yeah. for Watford. So, so really obviously if your keeper's got two shots to save and both flying, he's not really yeah. a difference maker, is he? And that's it. And th- you can't save them all, we appreciate that. But as we've just touched on, the, the shots weren't of a huge value, early. No, I mean the, f- the first one. To be honest, is is probably the shot that I'd look at more and expect him to save. That one had a, a, actually had an expected goals value of of just 0.07. So seven percent. Seven percent of the time that that finds the net. Um, but le- what left foot and the, the balls obviously bouncing and things like that. But I don't know. There's various reasons that'll be valued at 0.07. I'm not sure other providers will value it that low. Hmm. Uh, but it's interesting. Well, I like more about that one though, or why I make more of a pass for that. I think it's a good finish. No, I think yeah, it, yeah, it was yeah. a good finish, and that's why I'm, I'm a little bit reluctant to go too too hard on that one. But we'll. Um, it's we pro- it's probably valued lower than um, Pereira's shot, just simply because it's 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 a lot wider mm. in comparison. Yeah, we uh, we'll, we'll we'll start moving on to the positives though, because obviously it was a, it was a good win. Um, Bear in mind, Everton obviously spent some time with just ten men. You know, on the day they had more possession, more shots. Um, they were on paper at least. We've already touched on the XG point. On paper, at least they were they were the better side, and that's away from home, a place that's been a little bit difficult to go to recently. Um, I think it shows, in my opinion, it shows some some good character in the squad at the moment. The fact that. Were able to come back well, that yeah, yeah, that I just that they seem to be the better side on the day in several departments, and yet the fact that they've if you think of the adversity they've faced, they've conceded two goals, they've um, they've gone down to 10 men. Now, do you remember that stat that we talked about a little while ago where Everton <laughs> yeah. hadn't come back in the league from um, conceding first? Mm. Not, I think it was about two years that lasted uh, that they finally got the monkey off the back there. Which I think is huge. Yeah, well, I think it's interesting that they've done it seven matches, seven Premier League matches into Carlo Ancelotti's mm. reign. Uh, when when it, when a team does that and when a team can't do that, I think I think the whole coming back from when you when you're losing uh, relates to a, a number of things. Um, I think for me, first of all, problem solving. Mm. I think that from a managerial perspective, a manager to be able to problem solve in game um, and assess certain situations and resolve them so that your team can play better sort of thing mm. uh, secondly I think a, a manager clearly has to have tools at his disposal 
to change things mm. and to react to going a goal down and things like that. And thirdly, I think for a team to do that, I think they've got to have belief in the methods that are being instilled, mm. if you like. And I, th- I, th- I think a team that don't believe in what they're doing, a team that don't believe in the system or the tactics or the manager or whatever it may be, will take a significant mental hit when they go a goal down yeah. because they don't have the belief that they're going to get back into it. Yeah. Whereas a team that have the utmost belief, um, I use an example, Liverpool, from my perspective. Well, it's it's funny, um, you know, because I know sometimes you can be reluctant to use them for obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah. But for me, they're the team I watch as much as Everton, really, over the course of a season. And I told them I was on the telly, like, obviously, through work, I'll go to Anfield a fair bit. And they are the team I also think of, so I, I think you were in your kind yeah, of no, it's, it's, realms it's of just it the, the teams that seem to be really stable overall in terms of health and belief in the manager and all that stuff, belief in the system and mm. everything that's being done, uh, are the teams that generally don't panic when they go a goal down mm. and um, they end up just finding their way back into it simply by keeping composed and keep doing what you're good at basically mm. yeah. and uh, the fact Everton have done it so soon in Carlo Ancelotti's reign with a goal down uh, with a man down sorry uh, obviously bodes well for what he's doing yeah I agree I thought it, it, it was huge really that when they did go a goal down in my opinion I didn't think there was any panic and there also wasn't even an element of shutting up shop in my opinion now I'd say obviously tactical changes were made Michael Keane was brought on Calvert-Lewin come off so there was certain, certainly a solidity added to the side, but it still felt like there was an ambition to win the game if the chance presented itself. And if you look at the third goal, obviously that leads from a um, a Wofford throw-in into the Everton penalty box. And within about 13 seconds, the ball's carried from Everton's box and fired into the, the Wofford goal. Um, and there's three Everton players who break out in the attack. Now, having watched Everton many times this season, and at the start of the season they played Palace and went down to ten, and there was a lack of an, an attacking ambition for me there. In this game, it, it felt like there was a, more of a belief, as you were talking about, yeah. and to have three players breaking out on the counter attack. Ultimately, um, it's for Charleston puts the ball across Keane. People say it was a pass. I think he just misses it. I was it. just I was going to ask you that. What, what did you think of that one? <laughs> I, I think he, he's an unbelievable player. If he, if he passes that, there. I think he's. Um, I think it's a miss. Yeah, like. it is a miss. Yeah, but this is the this is the benefit of having three players on the attack. Bear in mind, there's only going down to ten, so there's nine outfield players on on the pitch, and three of them are counting attacking in the 90th minute rather than trying to remain defensively rigid. Um, and had Walcott not gambled on it, that would have been a mischance. It would have finished two-two because the ball would have obviously petered out, gone out for a goal probably. So yeah, what I will say on that as well is I think that shows the perks of having them having players that are fast. Yeah, I mean definitely. it's a simple thing, a simple concept, but you need players in your team who are mobile. And if you if you can't play football, if you can't if you can't do anything, at least if you've got speed on your side, you're gonna be a nightmare team to face I mean anyone who's played football at a fairly decent level will know that coming up against players that are just quicker than you mm. it, it, they're difficult to control basically and yeah. obviously if you go down to 10 men 
helps on the counter attack and things like that. So yeah, it was a, it, it was a reason, another reason why Richardson's so important to the side. I thought because he didn't have a, a great game, but yet he still managed to dribble the ball out yeah. um, and create that goal late on. Uh, I've, I've actually been impressed with just how quick Keane is. Actually, yeah, he's he really light yeah. and quick. He's fast. But he's very Especially fast. off the mark as well, like yeah. he, he reaches his top speed very quickly. Yeah, that's true. Like over, over maybe like a five-yard period, he hits yeah. full full pace. Yeah, definitely. Um, I want to touch on Yerry yeah, Mina because he finally scored this season. Um, we flagged that one, didn't we? Yeah, a couple of weeks ago. I think. Yeah, because it was it was a conundrum. I thought you know he's just for those who maybe didn't listen to that show. He he's got the most headed shots in the Premier League this season. They tend to be from fairly good locations as well, in and around the penalty area, normally from set pieces. But he hadn't scored. Um, and we know how important set pieces can be and with centre backs coming up and really being a threat from them, like, you know, Van Dijk at Liverpool. That's one of Liverpool's big big targets when they have corners and free kicks and it's paying dividends for them and you know, Yerry Mina arrived, having having scored three goals in three World Cup games, for, you know, from set pieces in the air. So it's he certainly had the pedigree for it, and it feels like maybe this could be a, a watershed moment for him. Yeah, I mean, he's the type of player that you you do want to use from these situations, um, just simply because of his presence in the box. Mm. You don't always have to use him as the man to finish the actual move and to put the ball in the net. Sometimes you can use him as a distraction and things like that. But yeah. I think in this match. I'm actually going to write a piece about it today. Um, I think it's it, it's it's clear for me just after two or three weeks now that Ancelotti's uh, you know integrating set piece work behind the scenes. Mm. We obviously mentioned the West Ham goal. Uh, Holgate knocks it on, is he? Yeah, to, Holgate. So Calvert Lewin, yeah. Calvert Lewin finishes at West Ham, and then in this match, I think if you look at the clips back, it's very clear how. Yeni Mina deliberately floats towards the back post mm. of Watford's uh, defensive setup. A few players make a run inwards, and it's basically just Yeni Mina on his own versus one of the Watford players for yeah. both goals. And I think I'm inclined to think it's something that's been targeted before the match. Yeah. Um, and obviously, it's 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 delivered two goals. Yeah. So it's these are the types of subtle little things that if you do. Do you deliver results? Yeah. No, I'm. Uh, I mean, I'll be looking forward to reading that to be honest because I do. Agree. I think something's been going on, and if we actually look at the numbers as well, I think uh, it's reiterated with that. So, before Ancelotti come in, Mina's uh, expected goal average per ninety was just zero point zero two, which is low. <laughs> Doesn't exist, really. Yeah, it's like next to no goal threat. And when you consider he had the most headed shots in the Premier League, it's it's bizarre, really. But since uh, Ancelotti's arrived, that's boosted to zero point three six per ninety, which is which is fairly high. If I'm being honest, and okay, some of that's going to be boosted from Sati's high quality chances, but it shows he's a lot more threatening in the box since Ancelotti's come in, which may tie back to what Josh has just been saying about the fact that Everton have been working a little bit better using set piece routines. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, as I said. The- they literally, if you don't even have to perform that that well, because if you if you have set piece um, intricacies into your game, mm. it's it's almost free goals really, mm. and you can perform badly for a for a match if, if if the expected goals at the end of the match is tight, suggesting that both teams have maybe struggled to find a way through the, oppo- the opposition. 
Um, just a set piece goal can can steal you the, f- the full result of the game. Well, does uh, Evertonians will remember examples of um, what's a good example? Burnley this season away at Turf Moor, bit of a drab game, nil nil. Actually, think Everton went down to ten men in that game as well, but they um, they conceded from a cheap set piece, lost the game one nil. You know, it can be that decisive. One set piece can be completely uh, decisive in terms of picking yeah, up I mean, points or not. Put it this way, just just from the the West Ham game and the Watford game. Everton scored a total of four goals, three from set pieces. So go. if you take those three set piece goals out, Everton have lost against West Ham and have drew against Watford. Eh, no, lost against Watford as well. That's two go. losses there. And that so changes. Uh, that changes the whole, um, the whole feel, the whole environment of the club at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, while we're just talking about set pieces, we'll quickly before we move on, we'll quickly um, mention Luca Dean. Who looks to be getting back to his his form kind of last season? He hasn't been as good this year. You probably know because everyone's booted them out of the fancy football teams, haven't they? I kept them for too long. <laughs> really did. Um, but again, similar story really with the way Mina's expected numbers have increased in terms of XG. Um, Dean's expected assist numbers have risen noticeably since uh, Ancelotti's come in he's um, I don't you know what I might have the numbers to hand actually just to just to give some um, context to it um, yeah so before um, Ancelotti come in Dean was averaging um, expected assists per 90 of 0.06 which is again really low yeah. and because he takes a lot of set pieces as well uh, but that's increased since Ancelotti's come into um, 0.23, which is pretty good numbers, actually. You're probably getting assist about one in every four games on that ratio. Yeah. Um, so I'm just wondering what you think in terms of do how much of this do you attribute to the to the manager? Or do you... No, a fair bit, yeah, yeah. a fair bit. Um, I'm not too surprised, to be honest, because I think he's the type of fullback that he basically has to be allowed to overlap yeah. um, and he has to play alongside the, well he doesn't have to but he'll benefit from playing behind the player who's inclined to to cut inside and mm. maybe who's not the most penetrative of types in terms of running in behind opposing defences mm. he's going to instead cut inside into like a number 10 zone Yeah, uh, and that allows Dean to overlap and be that penetrative runner if he wants to be mm. or to put a cross in um, and I think he's allowed to do that when he plays alongside the likes of Bernard and Awobi because those two are types like that. Mm. But I think under Silva, up until the second, he played behind Richarlison quite a lot. Mm. Um, and Richarlison's difference in, the, in that type, mm. he's, he's more inclined to running behind, he's less inclined to cut inside and be a bit of a number 10. Mm. Um, and I think it's benefited, obviously, Lucas Dean. And if Everton are doing these set-piece work, these set piece um, details behind the scenes, and Lucas Dean's taken a few of those. I know Sigurdsson took the ones on on the weekend, mm. uh, but if Dean's taken a few of those and they're a bit more calculated mm. rather than just putting an English delivery mm. into the box, then he's going to create more chances through doing that. Hence, why his as expected goals numbers would rise, but as yeah. expected assist numbers would rise. But yeah, totally agree. It's, um, I'd said it's it is just all this work behind the behind the scenes that we don't necessarily necessarily see but there's evidence that it's happening which is uh, which is good for Everton but uh, in all a, a good win 
we were laughing, weren't we? Because I predicted two two, but I, uh, I happily took the the three two on this on this occasion. <laughs> yeah, I'll be, I'm happy to be wrong. Um, but yeah, good win and set Everton up for hopefully a good end to the well next few weeks. We'll we'll touch on the actual overall form now when we look at um, well Everton's form under Angelotti. Really, it's been it's been well brilliant. Really, I don't. And I, I can't really think of any other words to describe it. You, you know, only... Surprised? Um, oh. uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised, but I think what I'm surprised about is it doesn't feel like a new manager bounce. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you know, it, it feels a little bit more authentic than that. Um, I could be wrong, you know, we could plumbing over the next few few weeks, but it I just... I was going to say, that's an interesting point, that, because I think, I think a lot of the... When you appoint a new man- new manager, a lot of the the early results that he does get off the whole concept of what a bounce is, mm. it does tend to stem from simply working harder mm. and running more mm. and being tighter defensively and things like that. But it doesn't really feel as though that's been the case for Everton. It feels more a case of like I don't know using so little details yeah. to actually secure results. Yeah, uh, beyond performances, if you know what I mean. Like n- not not strictly improving performances wholly. Mm. But just finding a way to to get a win. Yeah, I agree. It, it, it feels like a lot more. The I do I, I do think there's more hard work going on. Yeah, definitely because yeah, that just happens. But it feels like the um, the the in control a little bit more. The variables that they were in control and under silver. Um, like I mean, f- for example, I, I I thought that when when Everton endured a little bit of success under under Duncan Ferguson, mm. my worry would have been that eventually once it once the the Ferguson bounce wears off. Yeah, they may struggle a little bit because they're just running themselves into the ground. Mm. It, it doesn't. It feels a bit more calculated than that. Yeah, yeah. You know what? You've summed up perfectly. I was trying to think of a good example. Originally, I was going to go down the David Moyes route because <laughs> um, if you look at what's happened to West Ham, obviously they they're winless now. In one, two, three, four, five, six games after an initial little little bounce with him. But um, yeah, Ferguson's a great example. I agree. That's why Ferguson, as we said on the show at the time, great for the short term, but he shouldn't have been being given an interim job to the end of the season. It should have just been obviously go out and try and get yeah get the, the man, whether it being like an Arteta or on this occasion Ancelotti, who's who's doing really well. Um, in the league, only Liverpool picked up more points. Everton averaging around two per game at the moment. Um, Across all competitions, only two defeats, and that was both away at the Etihad and at Anfield. Now, obviously, we know that um, Liverpool played out a, a younger Liverpool played out a younger side, but I still think think the Anfield factor played a part in that result. To be honest, um, but again, even those two defeats were by one goal margin, so you know they've been tight fixtures. Um, yeah, promising stuff. Yeah, it is. It yeah, is. it's been good. If we. Um, Obviously, we, we say that the second in the table since Angelotti's come in, but I thought this was this is kind of reaffirming the um, the feel good factor that in terms of expected points, Everton are fifth in that time, but they're only overperforming by a, a one point four points, I think it was, um, which says to me this shouldn't be a huge drop off. Would you agree? I know it's only a small sample size. Yeah, uh, I don't think it's. I mean, it, it is very early, very early days to mm. be to be looking into to it to that extent. I mean, I, I, I think it's been just simply a case of them giving players certain roles that suit them really. 
Yeah. Um, making everything a bit more, f- making everything a bit more functional mm. as a system. Um, and I think they're just they're just picking up wins. I, 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 and I'll be interested to see if, if they can continue doing that up until the end of the season. Because how many of the, how many of the the positive results have be, that have been secured have been deserved performance wise? Uh, would you say? I I I'm pretty sure that I can't think of one off the top of my head now. I'm just loading it up where Everton have been soundly the second team on the or the second best team, I should say, on the day. Um, yeah, for example, like it's. It, I mean, I'm I'm looking at um, one provider in particular that I don't particularly <laughs> trust, but they've got Newcastle winning the XG in that Everton Newcastle game, but. I mean, Everton dominated that game for 91 minutes. That was just two big chances, obviously. That'll have been it, yeah. Two chances, literally two yards out. That'll have been... But yeah, Everton have uh, have tended to see more of the ball, have more of the shots, win the XG against most sides, barring um, Liverpool and City. So, you know, it's not only that they're getting the results, but they're getting... um, Deserved results on the back of the performances. Yeah. No, I I don't think I'd expect any kind of, like... Downward spiral or no. like that anytime soon. I don't think what they're doing is is unreasonable. I don't think what they're doing is you know un- unexplainable or like that. I think they're just one of the one of the top performing teams in the mm. league at the minute. What what's it, what's so interesting though is that I don't feel like there's been any major kind of tactical shake up by Ancelotti. It, for me, it just feels like players or, or even the side as a whole is just starting to fill their potential a little bit better. They've got more belief in a in a top class manager. Um, and then there's just some minor adjustments here and there from Ancelotti. You know, who is it that's called the Tinker Man? Ranieri. Yeah. But I think it's fair to say Ancelotti's more of a, t- a, t- a Tinker Man, isn't he? You know, he does make these little minor adjustments that yeah. seem to have a big impact, but without upsetting the equilibrium, I guess. Yeah. But neither is similar. Mm. He comes to mind. Um, but I think that, that that's it. You've got two that you got. Well, not two, but you've got plenty of different types of managers. Mm. Some of them, um, such as maybe a Pochettino or a Jurgen Klopp, require you know an extended period of time to really instill a specific game. Mm. And throughout that time, it'll just basically be a learning period. Mm. And in terms of actual results, mm. they'll completely fluctuate. And you'll be up and down and up and down and up and down because you'll be suffering from certain little mistakes that you have to just learn from and get rid of. But there's other types of managers, like maybe an Ancelotti, a Mourinho, a Benitez, a Ranieri, I suppose, who are inclined to come in, and rather than taking sometimes years to instil a brand of football and an identity and things like that, they'll find a way to make a team functional, mm. and they'll start delivering results as soon as they can, really. Mm. Um, and if a team can remain functional over an extended period of time, then they'll start progressing in the, in the table, they'll start getting further in cup competitions and things like that. Yeah. The only issue with appointing a manager like that, which I've obviously stressed a couple of times on this podcast, is that when he goes, you then restart. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I like the idea of building an identity and mm-hmm. then when he, when that person goes, you have an identity in place that gets taken and built upon yeah. by, by the next man. But yeah, that other was, than that, I think he's, you know... Yeah, that was the only concern with Ancelotti. Um, 
and why we quite like the idea of Arteta. I still think Arteta is going to do really well at Arsenal. Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't feel that surprised what, what Ancelotti's doing. No, yeah. I'm, I don't get me wrong, I'm still over the moon with Ancelotti. You know, he's a great appointment and it, his quality is showing already and he's, he's going to do really well. I think it just there's a little bit more pressure on the appointment after after him, but hopefully Everton are going to be in a better position then um, to attract a, you know, another big name. But obviously we hope that's years away because uh, it's exciting times with Ancelotti at the helm at the moment. Um, I just... These calculations were very rough, Josh, okay? Um, I did this in my spare time. I might even after a beer, so I don't know if they're right. So if anyone hears them and thinks they're way off, let me let me know. But I've, I've worked out that if, if Everton maintain their current points per game, they, they should accumulate around, I think it's late 50, so maybe say up to 59 points. Now, as I said, just based on other sides in and around their points per games, um in around the top four, I should say. I think you'll qualify for Champions League football for between 60 to 65 points this season. Um, but I think top six will finish at around maybe 54 points. So, based on that, if Everton can get around 58, 59 points and top six is, you know, 54, they have a legitimate chance of, um, of finishing top six this season, which with all things considered, would be a huge turnaround on what looked to be a woeful season. When you consider they were in the relegation zone in December. Yeah. I uh, mean, when you say there, if Everton could maintain their current points yeah. per game, is that under Ancelotti? O- only, under Angel- only under uh, Ancelotti, yeah, I should okay. specify. Um, yeah, no, it would be interesting to see if it's achieved. I mean, I asked you a couple of weeks ago, didn't I, whether mm. you would actually want, you know, believe football next season, or whether you'd want... A complete clean slate for Ancelotti to have a proper free hit, almost a Champions League football. Really. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, a lot. Of, it's it's an ongoing discussion um, between fans. I can see on the likes of Twitter and stuff. But as I said to you at the time, for me, I think the sooner you get acclimatised to playing twice a week, I, I, I still think Europa League. Although we we have our reservations about it as a competition. I think it is appealing for players to join the side in the Premier League playing European football. Yet the Champions League is the is the big one, but still Europa League. I think it's an attraction. Yeah, another thing on that as well. I think I think I'm right in saying Everton have some FFP issues at the minute. Obviously, European funding mm. f- getting through European competitions. I'm, I, I think it yeah. helps with that. Obviously, improves your income and things like that. So yeah, I'm a. Uh, I'm no financial expert. There's others who probably know better, but yeah, I think it, it's more the hand, yeah, hands are tied a little bit. So the more funds you can bring in, the better. Yeah, the more you can do, essentially, the yeah. higher you finish, the more you can do. The whole concept of like, you know, the on-pitch success mm. ties in with the off-the-pitch performance in yeah. terms of business is absolutely nailed on for me. Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, looking good anyway. We'll see how it goes if Everton can finish top six, considering that was the ambition at the start of the season. Then they have to be happy. But we'll look ahead uh, before we round off to Crystal Palace, which I don't want to jinx this because I might have said this about Norwich, you know, and obviously they ended up uh, ended up beating Everton at Goodison. So I'm not jinxing it. I'm not setting up for egg on my face because if for some reason Palace win, then fair play to them. But could is there many other sides at the moment, Josh? If you were handpicking a team to play a home, is there many other teams you'd choose except Palace? Um, or start am I being a little bit too uh, no I think you're probably you're not far off there yeah I think Bournemouth come to mind Bournemouth yeah Bournemouth <laughs> um, as well but I don't know they, they, they are a weird team because they, 
in a tack at least, and I'm, I'm sure you'll get to the numbers and stuff, that they are entirely reliant on one player. Mm. Yeah. Um, and they have been for a number of seasons to the extent that I can't believe they just keep doing it. Well, and, uh, you know, you look at the summer business and things like that, and they don't seem to be tackling it anytime soon. No. I know they're trying to get in Jared Bowen. Mm. Fair play for that, for that, but yeah, that would have been a good sign. He didn't seem to put up any kind of fight to uh, to West Ham. He just seems to accept defeat once another club came in. Yeah, it was quite a, a limp effort. Um, but that that kind of leads us on to what I think is a club lacking a bit of direction. If I'm being brutally honest, you know, if you, <laughs> I'm going to reel off some managers here, and it'll sound like I'm uh, I'm listing like Talksport guests, <laughs> but. Uh, it has been a real kind of merry-go-round of managers there. So in the last few years, we've had Ian Holloway, Tony Pulis, Neil Warnock, Alan Pardew, Sam Allardyce, and then... And then Frank, Frank the boy. yeah. What is going on? Just an absolute U-turn, but no laying of the foundations or anything before doing it. Just it's terrible, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, and then he, he wondered why it went wrong. Yeah. And since then, he's probably been terrified to actually change things again because it went wrong last time. I do wonder that, you know, I think they've oh. went. I, I think they've looked at teams like Stoke, who tried to change, and it backfired and they just plummeted. And I think in, in a, a point in Roy Hodgson, they brought in someone that they know would come in and do a steady job. And I've used the term here, but I'm pretty sure I coined this term from you. Um, so <laughs> if I am, if I did, let me know. But a ceiling manager... Was that was that you said that? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Well, I've definitely stole it off someone, but it it, it just sums him up per- perfectly. You know, he's a, he's a manager who can do well, but he'll never take you to that next level, will he? Like he his level would never be above a top eight side. No, he no, went to Liverpool and it was a disaster. No, he's he's the absolute definition of mediocrity. Yeah, and that's not much, that's not really a massive criticism because some clubs want that. Hmm. Uh, and it's understandable to an extent if you if you just want to remain in the Premier League and that's kind of it. And if you do want that, your bud your budget is relatively modest mm. and things like that. Roy Hodgson is your man because he's he himself is not particularly ambitious mm. in terms of wanting to climb up the league and mm. having all these aspirations and dreams. Or he might have had them once maybe, but obviously he's reached a point now where he's relatively satisfied with what he's doing. But it's just very much stay safe and we're not really bothered about what's what we could aspire to be sort yeah. of thing like I remember a couple of years ago they had, they had a squad a couple of years ago and I remember looking at it and thinking that could be a really that could transform into a really good transition side that mm. like if they got in someone like Hasenhuttle at the time mm. or like a, a Marco Rose at the time who's now munching Gladbach mm. like a mini Klopp sort of yeah. team quickly transitioning towards the f- from front to back mm. in very few passes and you know, that sort of thing. I can't remember who. They just had, like, you know, Townsend on one flank, Zaha on the other. Uh, they had Batshuayi on long up front. Mm. Uh, they had Kabay in midfield. Van Arnold on the yeah. left. They've still got some of those players. Yeah, they have, yeah. But, like, they just had a really quick, um, maybe a team like you'd label as direct. Not mm. the team like you want Frank the Ball to take charge. No, yeah. That's not the direction you want to go down. No, but they had, they had players to to change the style into, a, into one that was more aggressive mm. and, you know, vertical sort of thing, but yeah. they just didn't. Um, and they are now just very, I seem to use this word a lot, but they're very vanilla, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> funny enough, I, I read, a, it was that magazine <laughs> I wanted to give to you, right? Uh, Glory, it's called. It was based on an, um, 
on uh, Swiss football this <laughs> this edition, and uh, Hodgson actually did an interview and it was really good. And he, he just sounded like someone different there. He sounded he did sound quite ambitious. But when was this from? So this was only recently the interview he did, but obviously he was in Switzerland oh. for a while, and I think his sides were quite competitive there, but. He just seems a different coach in England. He seems less ambitious, as you say. Um, yeah, he's inclined to play things down. Yeah, he's inclined to to want to assume the the inferior role, if you like. Mm. Um, and I think he likes the whole concept of being an underdog and things like that, uh, which is, as I said, okay sometimes. But if you aspire him for bigger things, I don't know. Yeah, change your direction a bit. Um, but what we will say is, it all looks like it's going a little bit sour. Um, so kind of Mr Steady may not be there for much longer because he wasn't particularly backed in the in the January transfer window I think he'd made it clear that they needed some reinforcements I'd agree to be honest I think they do um, and I he, thought the business was poor yeah. to be honest like. it has been for a little while hasn't it really they took James McCarthy off Everton's hand which I don't think it was a good sign because he, he hasn't been fit for about five years. <laughs> <laughs> the irony is, I'm not even joking. You know, I, he, he played 13-14 of every year and then just, okay, he had a bad leg break, but he decided that he was just never fit. And I've noticed he's still only played 900-odd Premier League minutes this season. Um, yeah, so it looks like it's going a bit sour and, and he, he's probably going to leave in the summer. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But... All this seems to be affecting the results, and they got no win in seven, which is why I was saying it was a little bit surprising. At one point, they looked a good side, but now they're almost um, well. They don't, they're not. I think they could get sucked into a relegation battle. Only six points clear. Um, the eighteenth for expected goals, uh, twelve for expected goals against. Actually, you know what? The nineteenth for expected goals. Yeah, so I've, I, that's yeah, what I saw as well. Yeah, typo there. So there's only Newcastle who worse. I think that captures them perfectly, though. Yeah. Because I think going forward, they haven't got much at all. Yeah. And they've got one player basically who can create something out of nothing. But in defence, they are well drilled. They have got firmly a mid-table defence, mm. and that's basically keeping them in matches and things like that. Mm. And I mean, I'd be in I'd be in see to see how many matches they've actually won by a single goal, mm-hmm. because it's well. probably most of them. Probably fine. Um, there is obviously one danger man that we've referred to a few times, um, Zaha, who pulling a transfer request to try and join Everton in the uh, in the summer. So, would you have? Uh, did we speak about that at the time? I don't. I think me and you might have just on the pod. I mean, no, not on the oh. pod. I don't even think we had analysed Everton then. Um, but I know what you're going to ask me. Do I think that would have been a good move? I think it would have. Look, he probably he would have improved the side. To, yes, but for the money that they wanted and for the longevity, he would have kind of performed at a high level. I think it would have been a really, really bad, bad um, bit of recruitment. Yeah, just looking at Palace's results there on the whole one nil thing. Mm. Uh, it looks like they've won about seven matches. I think. And only two of them have been by more than one goal. And both of those have been 2 0 wins. They've won a lot of matches. In fact, every oh, yeah. win has either been 1 0, 2 1, or 2 0. They haven't done anything beyond that. Yeah, in fact, they haven't scored more than two goals at any point this season. Yeah, well, I, there you go. Yeah. That sums it up perfectly. Um. So, yeah, one th- what I do want to flag is that Zaha will probably be facing Sidibe. Now, 
we've seen some of those. <laughs> I don't want to name drop here. Oh, look, I'm not offending anyone. If, if I don't think any of them will be listening, we've seen some of those Squawker-esque kind of <laughs> stats recently, where it's uh, talking about you know like um, tackles, tackle success rates and stuff, but stuff that we don't tend to value and tackles do because the no they can be a bit um it doesn't tell you a full picture about a, an event really a, a tackle success rate or how many tackles someone makes because some providers will deem a tackle as an interception and yeah. you know all different mad, mad stuff like that and if it's totals as well is it totals yeah i'm sure they do yeah i mean yeah see i mean everton will obviously defend less than Burnley, for example, mm. but uh, but a lot more than Manchester City mm. and things like that. So it can just be impacted quite easily. Yeah. But yeah, on the whole, Sadibi seems to be good, good attack and not great defensively. So it, that could be a little bit of an issue on that side. It means that someone like say um, Walcott, if he plays, he'll have to do a little bit more def- defensive work. Do you just quickly before we round up? Do you like Zaha? Well, yeah, I've, I've, I think I have spoken about him before, haven't I? He's, Maybe he, he are, is yeah. one of them play- I spoke about him last week, actually, in, in reference to Everton Suarez. Mm. Because he's that type of player that you either value as really, really good mm. and a massive threat, or you value him for his actual end product. And I think he does a lot of things that really don't add value. Mm. Uh, dribbles sometimes when he doesn't need to dribble mm. and things like that. And I think he'd, he'd benefit from being coached by a proper... A proper business end manager, someone like a Guardiola that comes to mind, where it, where you've got to just g- grab Zaha basically and say, "Listen, the goal's there," you know. That's all. <laughs> I, I, I always say this. That line, yeah. I always say it. Oh no, yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's but, exactly what I was thinking as you were talking. I was like, but a lot of players just um, just don't do it for no, whatever yeah. reason. Um, I had a look at Zaha's dribbling numbers actually. Uh, so players to have played more than a thousand minutes in Europe's top five leagues. Uh, I can't remember exactly how many players he was in the sample, but Zaha is behind only three. Um, Yusuf Atal, Adama Traore and Neymar. Mm. Um, that's for attempts per 90, so obviously he's trying to be trying to engage with opposing players a great deal. Mm. Um, but if you look at his actual assist numbers and, and things like that, I mean, I do think he... I do think he helps his team in regards to finding the penalty box. I think he finds the penalty box with passes quite yeah. a lot and things like that. He gets them out their own half as well, doesn't he, and when they're maybe under the cosh a little bit. Yeah, mm. he's a very useful player for them. They need him. They absolutely mm. need him. But I think from maybe an Everton perspective or a club higher up in the division, I think he's he's possibly... Yeah, he has the capacity to be a bit of a hindrance to mm. those teams, I think, just because mm. of his single-mindedness in certain situations. Yeah. I agree. Um, verdict, Josh. I'll let you go first this week. I've got two nil Everton. Mm. No, me. I'm also going two nil Everton. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fingers crossed. You know, if they, if they win that, they've got some tough games coming up, so it'll set them up for hopefully um, a good run. And if you scored another set piece, mm. I think it's going to get to a point where we're going to have to start analysing the opposing team before we uh, mm. before we face them. Yeah, I hope so. I'd like. I'd because like if, to come to that. if Everton are clearly looking at every opposing team. And determining where they're weak from set pieces, mm. we need to start doing yeah, it as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we can't be slacking. No. Um, annoyingly, the, the, there's probably going to be no analysing Everton next week um, because I'm in San Francisco, and I assume 
Well, I offered to fly over, but he said no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah the, uh, the budget didn't cover it, unfortunately. But yeah, so we'll, we'll probably have to miss next week. If we can try and get a show in, we will. Um, but we just haven't really arranged anyone to anyone to cover it. So it might be best just to have a week off. We'll take a winter break. Um, <laughs> yeah. But we'll be back in a few weeks anyway. Um Hopefully everyone's still enjoying the show. Thanks for the messages that when people do get in touch, really appreciate it. Um, uh, until next time, anyway. Hopefully we'll have three points on the weekend and enjoy the rest of your week. Cheers, cheers, Josh. Thanks. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.